Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Baltimore's massive water and sewage system is its most valuable asset. It delivers water and wastewater services to more than one and a half million people in the city, Baltimore County, and neighboring counties. Right now, the system is governed by the city, but who will govern it in the future is an open question. The Baltimore Regional Water Governance Task Force has spent months considering the future of this vital infrastructure as the county and city disagree about how it should be run. With the future uncertain, let's look at how other metropolitan areas similar to Baltimore have handled the question of governance of their water and sewage systems and where their choices have led them. Louise Seamster, Ph.D., is with us. She is assistant professor in the Department of Sociology and African American Studies at the University of Iowa, where she studies how cities and counties own and operate water, wastewater infrastructure. Welcome to the show, Professor Seamster. Thanks for having me. How did you first come to get interested in water and sewage infrastructure? Well, it was... Somewhat by accident, I was studying racial politics in cities in Michigan, especially cities that had been taken over by the state. And as my research progressed, I realized that water systems were really a key asset to understand that was under contention between cities and counties, also the state relationship, and then this larger ecosystem of uh, various entities and industries that are also invested in, in these assets in different ways. And you perceived a trend in how cities and counties govern these vital water and wastewater infrastructure systems. What is that trend over time? Well, from my work in trying to understand the Flint water crisis and in parallel what has happened with Detroit's water system and its own water crisis, and as well as other cities, including now Baltimore, I have been observing trends in how as cities originally formed their water systems, they started providing infrastructure out to the suburbs that were often forming as mostly white residents left those cities, which meant that these water systems ended up very large with cities serving, providing services to suburbs. And as those suburbs have grown up, often thanks to the subsidized resources they were getting from those cities without having to pay for the investment themselves, a lot of these suburbs are now turning around and saying, we shouldn't have to pay towards a city that doesn't fit the model of who we think of ourselves as suburbs, as independent entities, and that we should have some form of control uh, of our own, whether that means forming some public authority or outright takeover. There's been a lot of different um, attempts made in, at different times, but it's helpful to look at the pattern over time and across places. What similarities do you see between Detroit and Baltimore? Well, uh, in both cases, you have a proposition to create a public authority um, that would restructure governance from a largely city-controlled system to the benefit of uh, the county that had been formerly primarily a customer of the city. Um, both cases, you have a large water infrastructure system in question where both ownership of the system it provides a major asset and also accountability for that system as these systems are endangered and need fixing that can provide a, somewhat of a liability. And what is also important in both cases is the separate asset that the water revenue provides because water systems have a lot of powers to collect water bill revenue and and a lot of um, authority with what to do over that revenue, including debt assumption. 
Then there's also the more, you know, the, the further out connections, which are that both of these cities have been governed by consent decrees over their water and or sewer systems for some time. There's also discussion about water rates being unmanageable in both cases. And so issues of water affordability, there's concerns about privatization. All in all, I could go on um, to show that in many ways, there's a a whole ton of parallels. A lot of parallels. What have the consequences been for residents of Detroit? Well, Detroit's water system was restructured around 2014, right after the city was taken over by what they call an emergency manager who was given total power by the state to make decisions that are usually made by city officials. Um, and and he partly was able to make that decision by threatening to privatize the system altogether, which a lot of people in Michigan had feared, as well as um, you know folks in Baltimore have even passed uh, an act preventing that in, in Baltimore. Activists in Detroit, especially uh, the group We the People in De- of Detroit, have showed that uh, the emergency manager coming into power even before he restructured the system had significantly increased the practice of water shutoffs such that um, between 2015 and 2019, an estimate of 300,000 people were affected by water shutoffs in that city. Um, And people have connected those shutoffs to the restructuring in various ways uh, as an example of how taking decisions out of public's hands can lead to more um, brutal ways of making sure those water revenues are obtained from the public. This also means that since since this new public water authority has been created around Detroit, Detroit only controls the city infrastructure. This uh, coalition of three counties is now in charge of uh, the board. They have majority control of the board overseeing the system. They also uh, pay a nominal uh, fee back to Detroit for renting their water infrastructure, but they actually control that fund themselves uh, to use for capital improvements, and they've made Detroit pay back into its own rental fee. And finally, they actually have control over all of Detroit's water revenues through this new water authority because they are able to use those water revenues to pay back the significant debt that they've amassed in creating this water authority. So that's a pretty significant change that where Detroit was once in control of the largest water system in the state and the third largest water system in the country, that now the city of Detroit only controls the water system within its borders. It is now renting out the infrastructure that it paid to create at a very low rate, and it has no more control over its own water revenues. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with sociology professor Louise Seamster, Ph.D., about how counties and cities similar to Baltimore manage their water and wastewater infrastructure. You can find the draft reports released by the Baltimore Regional Governance Task Force at the On the Record page at WYPR.org. Their next meeting is next Thursday, January 25th. As you pointed out, counties use the city's water and wastewater infrastructure as they grow over time. Baltimore County's population has ballooned over the decades. Why shouldn't they have more say in how that infrastructure is governed? So the the city-county relationship is a complex one and evolves over decades in, in all these cases to negotiate and renegotiate as the cities and suburbs grow and shrink. 
in many cases, as in both Baltimore and Detroit, you have a story where the suburbs have grown at the direct expense of the cities. And water is one of many fronts on which suburban growth is, is directly at cities' expense, whether that's through sub subsidizing the creation of the infrastructure or by charging rates below what they could charge to try and keep the county happy. And it's usually, at least in the case of Detroit, never low enough to make them happy. Um, because often the point is is not so much about specific decisions, but especially in the Detroit case, it's more about the idea of not having control, not fitting how county administration likes to think of themselves, or the idea of having to pay in towards a city where um, the county perceives that they are not getting a fair share, but in which counties are often getting a disproportionate amount of state services, uh, getting subsidized services from the city, et cetera. So this has to be taken not just at face value, but within the larger context of how these counties got formed. I think we could also ask why in these cases, whether what results is actually an, an egalitarian relationship or actually privileging um, the counties outright at the, the cost of the cities. And that's where it comes down to the actual structure of the arrangement to look at and see who has majority control, whose interests are going to be met the most, and at whose expense. We've talked about the similarities. Are there aspects that are different here in Baltimore that might change the outcome? Well, certainly. Um, and I think that in uh, many cities, you see different strategies being taken, even if the ultimate goals are similar. The advocates pushing for regional authorities are learning from one case to another. And also cities have different orientations. Baltimore is not under emergency management. So at this point, unlike Detroit, Baltimore city and county does have more agency in determining what happens to its water system, depending on the power of this task force uh, recommendation at the state level. So, you know, the, the outcome is not predetermined and, and you can see from the recent response to the task force report in the past couple months that it is not a done deal at this stage to, to create a regional authority. And the point I want to make is that we need to understand what is happening across locations at these sites to learn from them and just to understand these patterns that are not always obvious because it's not always a cookie cutter match from one city to another. Well, as you said, it's not a done deal yet here in Baltimore. Several members of the Baltimore Regional Water Governance Task Force issued a draft of their recommendations. The public is invited to comment on that draft until 5 p.m. this Friday, January 19th. The task force is scheduled to decide by the end of January. Whatever the final recommendation is, there will be more opportunity for public feedback as this final report goes to the General Assembly and to city and county officials. So let me ask you, what should members of the public be paying attention to? What should they be asking? Well, first, I want to commend residents in Baltimore for making these crucial connections across cities. I know they've been bringing up the connections to places like Detroit, which is really helpful. I think people who are wanting to understand this more should be working to understand who the players are both locally and not. So when I talk about how water revenues are an important asset to water systems. This is not just an issue for the county, but also for the investors who write and invest in the water bonds that are stand to be created as a result of a new water authority. 
Um, so looking at the connections across these different parts of an ecosystem that may not look like what we see as standard privatization, but still represent different forms of privatization in terms of directing public assets to private interests as profit. And I think residents are really on the right track asking for specifics on what the terms will be of this restructuring and who benefits from it um, and how the governance structure will change. So who will get more and what, who will get less? And the answers to these questions are what's going to determine the ultimate cost to residents and the equity or inequity of how it's arranged. I think a key question would be to ask, would a regionalized system under a new authority still have the same protections against privatization and for water affordability that Baltimore residents have created in recent years? And it's really important to get a definitive answer on that. Professor Seamster, thank you for all these insights. Thank you. Louise Seamster, Ph.D., is Assistant Professor of Sociology and African-American Studies at the University of Iowa. She studies how cities and counties operate water and wastewater infrastructure. The book she's writing, set to be published next year, is The Flint Water Coup, Debt at the End of Democracy. You can find more of our coverage about the future of Baltimore's water and sewage infrastructure at the On the Record page wypr.org. I'm Sheila Cass. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow.